Not sure what I'm supposed to do after that lead-in, guys. <laughs> I know all of you join with me in thanking the choir for the service that they provide in our musicians as well. It's a real blessing. It's a great example out in the body of Christ. Every part uh, of the body uh, nourishes and encourages each other. If you would, stand with me now as we start our examination of God's word for us this morning. As I read the scripture that's found in Psalms 119, uh, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. May God add his blessings to this reading of his word. Please take your seats and we'll get start, started on unpacking these verses. Let's pray. Lord God, your word teaches us that you will be where two or three are gathered in your name. And Lord, we are gathered here in this church in your name and recognize that your presence makes where we are holy ground. Help us not to treat this lightly. Help us to put aside the distractions of this world that choke out your word. Help me to focus on the truth of your word and through your spirit prepare the hearts of those that listen so that they are able to gain a deeper understanding of you, a greater desire to strengthen their relationship with you, and a clearer knowledge of how you want these scriptures applied in their lives. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Keeping our way pure. I, for some reason, have brought up a memory of mine. Uh, one of my aunts used to say uh, this story about this, uh, this uh, Amish farmer that had a cow that had a bad temper. And he was coming out one morning, and he was going to milk the cow. And as you know, cow's tails are not the nicest thing in the world. They drag in all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it's typical morning like this, rainy, mucky. Um, and he puts down his lantern, starts milking the cow, and this cow swats him across the face with the tail. Farmer looks at the cow. Cow looks at the farmer, kind of shrugs, and he starts milking some more. He swats him again. This time he looks at the cow and he says, Cow, thou knowest I can't strike thee, and thou knowest I can't curse thee, but I can sell thee to a Presbyterian. <laughs> Regardless of the outward appearances, though, we are called to purify our hearts, even us Presbyterians. Uh, last week we were reminded that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the longest book in the Bible. We find it just past the middle of the Bible. It has 176 verses, and that makes this chapter longer than 14 books in the Old Testament and longer than 17 books in the New Testament. Its theme recurs throughout the whole psalm. Its theme is delighting in and living by the Word of God. 
While this unifies the chapter, the chapter is less like a chain of identical links and more like a string of pearls where each section has a unique and independent significance. Remember from last week that in this chapter, the Word of God is referred to most often in five ways, as the law, as God's testimonies, as God's ways, and as his precepts, and as his statutes. Most older scholars agree Psalm 119 was written by David. Some of the more recent ones have have, uh, argued that maybe Ezra wrote this psalm after the exile in in the style of David. As God is the author of all scripture, it's not vital for us to know for sure who was it that, that actually put pen to paper. Or else God would have included that information like he did for a lot of the other psalms. You may remember this psalm is also an acrostic. It's kind of an alphabetic psalm. It's organized into eight verse couplets beginning with each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Last week we looked at Aleph. And this week we are looking at Beth. In Hebrew, Beth is also the word for house. And we can see it in the names of Bethel, house of God, and Bethlehem, house of bread. As a result, a lot of commentators characterize this section of the psalm where every line in Hebrew begins with Beth as providing instructions on how to make our heart a home for God. I'd, I'd hate to, I hate to admit that five or six years ago, I probably wouldn't have been very suited to bring you a message from the Psalms and from this passage in particular because I hadn't developed an appreciation for the Psalms. I'm sure you've seen New Testament Bibles where in order to provide a smaller book that can fit into a pocket, they've left out the Old Testament, but they still generally include Psalms and Proverbs. Now, Proverbs, I could get my arms around, particularly since there were a lot of times in my life where I felt that the Lord had me somewhere that I really needed more of his wisdom to avoid going down in flames. So during those times of stress, I would read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And since it has 31 chapters, it's easy to keep straight where I was each day. And after a month, I'd start over again. And it was amazing how often the Lord proved his promises and something I read in the Proverbs would apply to a situation I experienced. But for Psalms, Psalms didn't really resonate with me that much until more recently. I guess eventually God's spirit just laid on me that if so many other people over time had thought that there was something extra special about Psalms, maybe I should give it a little bit more attention myself. So I started reading five chapters of Psalm every day for a year. Again, with 150 chapters, reading five a day got me through the book in 30 days. And it was still pretty easy to keep track of where I was day by day. And now when I read Psalms, it's like welcoming an old friend back into my life. There really is something special about seeing the various writers of Psalms work through the complexities of this life on earth, the mysteries about our God and our relationship with them. Their struggles are valuable examples and remain highly relevant to modern life in these challenging times. I I highly recommend if you haven't done it before, try working Psalms regularly into your daily Bible study and your prayer time. See if it doesn't bring you closer to God and give you a better understanding of who he is as you go through them. Our passage today opens with a question. How can a young man keep his way pure? For me, when I read that, uh, one of the first things that made me wonder is, why is the psalmist posing this question for a young man? Don't we all have trouble keeping our way pure? 
as I considered it, I concluded there, there are at least three good reasons I could think of off the top of my head that explain why young men are to take particular note and why this passage is still fully applicable to the rest of us. The three reasons this section is addressed with regard to a young man are that it addresses the obstacle of inexperience, it gets life started on the right track, and it provides, by applying the scripture, the greatest blessing early in life. Now you could argue from those reasons that maybe this section doesn't apply to you, it's time to tune out, that you're not young and you don't consider yourself inexperienced, but compared to our creator who knows all things and has existed from eternity past, I think we can see we're all pretty inexperienced and stand to benefit from his wisdom. Wisdom that he promises will guide our paths. And similarly, whether we got a good start in living according to God's word or a terrible start, whether we have enjoyed the blessings of obedience and fellowship with God for years or not, we all will be blessed if we start making our personal path pure from this point forward. So stay with me and see if the Spirit doesn't have something in these verses for each and every one of us. Now, we are all inexperienced before God, but it also makes sense to me that this question of how to walk in a way that is pure is posed for a young man because we know that if it works to keep a young man's way pure, it's going to work for anybody. I think it's not going too far to say that it isn't all that unusual to find a perfect storm of overconfidence, undercompetence, and lack of discipline in the young and, and young men particularly. Now, I've got nothing against young men. It wasn't that long ago that I was one. Still, youth is often characterized and lack of discipline. So when we mix just enough knowledge to be dangerous, some of the choices we have. As often told uh, in the military, there's a new second lieutenant starts out a statement by saying, well, based on my experience, more mature are also susceptible to these failings. After all, who hasn't heard the old adage that there is with the complexities of life? I think Psalm 119 is also addressed to young men because it is the perfect time to ask such a question. We see this idea in another psalm, Psalm 25.7. It says, Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. If we ask this question, how do I keep my way pure early in life? and take on the hard job of working out the answer in our thoughts and actions, we have less to regret later on in life. Now, the world wants to convince us that we should live it up in our youth, put off getting serious about our faith until another time. And if Satan is successful in accomplishing this in our youth, there's a good chance that he'll be successful in convincing us to put off living a life worthy of our calling for the rest of our lives as well. But if God's word is true, and we know and confess that it is, all that putting this commitment off does is either keep us on the path to hell or give us more regret to live with for the rest of our lives. If we're seeking to be like Christ and we achieve our goals and we become like Christ, how should we expect to feel when we have the mind of Christ and look back at the sins of our youth? Instead, the world, the flesh, and the devil that would have us put off a decision to pursue righteousness in our living, God's word teaches us in Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 7. It teaches us to seek the Lord while he may be found. That's today, not later. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Likewise, the parable of the seed in Matthew 13 warns that the cares of the world will seek to choke out God's word from our lives if we let it. And it provides an additional warning not to delay from Matthew 25, 13. It says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. No matter where we are in life, young or old, we don't know what the next day, the next hour, or the next minute brings. Our modern life convinces us that we can count on tomorrow being pretty much like today. But history is full of examples of people that thought they had all the time in the world when disaster was already knocking at their doors. A decision to put off following God is in reality a decision to deny God. We deny God a place in our lives despite all the excuses we make trying to get it to be something other than that. And the sooner we make that decision to instead turn to God, the sooner we can enjoy the blessings of fellowship with God that his word promises to us. Plus, the sooner we commit our way, the less we have to regret. The world tries to convince us, particularly when we are young, we are missing out if we don't indulge sinful pursuits. But God isn't holding us back from something wonderful. No, his word teaches us he wants to spare us all from suffering the bondage and wreckage of our sin. Spurgeon in his Treasury of David includes an exposition on this psalm that poses the question in all its difficulties. How do I begin a right, be able to know and choose the right, and then continue in the right till perfection is ultimately reached? So while I would like the young men with us today to pay particular attention, if this living a pure life is your desire, I think we all have something to learn from the answer this psalm gives us to that important question. Despite a lack of experience, a lack of skills, knowledge, and abilities, despite a tendency to rush into things and to make snap judgments, without pausing for careful consideration or predictable consequences, how can we all keep our way pure? Like so many things in Scripture, the answer is both easy to read and hard to do. There in verse 9 where we read, by guarding it according to your word. Considering how important this is, I wanted to dig deeper into what exactly this verse was telling all. Psalm 119.9 in the English Standard Version goes, How can a young man keep his way pure? In James, the answer becomes, By taking heed thereto, according to your word. And in the New International Version, By living according to your word. I don't know about you, but the different translations had me unsure what it involved in this part of the verse, Shamar, and it carries the idea of hedging it to verse 12 a little bit later on. Uh, but again, that image uh, to guard or protect or attend to are all viable translations along with keep. But not keep in the sense of storing something. Instead, the idea of keeping something by actively protecting and preserving it. God's word on the shelf, or even God's word in our memory, will not serve the purpose here. Notice it isn't God's word we are, we are keeping or protecting. Instead, we are using God's word to protect or keep our way. We are called to use God's word to protect our way so that our way will be pure and clean. Conversely, without God's word guarding our way, our way will be impure and polluted. We have to get away from the idea of God's word as just being ink on pages in a book and maybe even a dusty book that's just been taking up shelf space. 
God's word itself helps us to get it in a proper perspective. Hebrews 4.12 teaches, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Contrary to the idea of God's word being static or stale, it is in reality active and vital to us if we seek to follow God's narrow path rather than the broad path that leads to destruction. Trying to keep our path pure apart from the power of God's word, word, in my opinion, at best leads us into the sins of the Pharisees, where we end up taking sinful pride in a form of holiness that's completely devoid of substance. So remembering our utter dependence on God's grace, what are some of the... Verse 10 says, first, we are to seek God's with our whole... That's why verse 10 reminds us that we don't need to ask God to help us Uh, that we need God to stay close to his commandments. James teaches us in James 1 to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, for that person must not suppose they will receive anything from the Lord. So, we are to diligently seek God with our whole heart, put in God's word or in God's kingdom, but wholeheartedly, without doubting, as we ask as an excuse to stack arms, and sit idly by waiting for God to pick up our slack, considering where I was going to end up this Sunday. I uh, read a story about a preacher that would kind of let the week go by, and Sunday morning, as the choir came in, he'd start sweating, and he'd start praying. He'd say, God, give me a message. Give me a message. Give me a message. One Sunday, he was praying, and all of a sudden, he got a message. It said, you're lazy. <laughs> We rely on God for any good work in our life, uh, but he still calls us to put our energy into the pursuit of holiness. Verse 11, second, we are to store God's word in our heart. Psalm 119.11 is a great verse that I suspect many of us memorized uh, as we were growing up. Here the, the ESV uses the word store, while the King James uses hid, the NIV uses hidden, and the New American Standard uses treasured. The various translations remind us that the idea here is to take God's word and possess it as something precious. I mentioned before that scripture memory alone isn't enough, but it's where we start if we want to keep our way pure. But if we just pursue memorization as a road exercise without looking for meaning or application in our lives, then we've missed the mark. We know the Bible is God's word. Apart from memorization, is there a part of the Bible you've never read? How can it be precious if it's not worth the time to even read it? Are you taking time to make the study of God's word part of your day? Regardless of frequency, is the time you do spend in God's word indicative that it's precious to you? You probably remember from last week that many people in times past memorized this entire psalm. Did anyone take up the challenge and get that done this week? It's a daunting task for me, that's for sure. But I would recommend, you know, it's the old, uh, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Take advantage of the things that we're studying here as you witness to others. And get those down in your memory. Help your walk with Christ. Especially if you continue to meditate on them. We're told to pray for instruction. Having received God's word and hidden it in it, we've sought, sought God. We've recognized how precious his word is, and that in turn causes our heart. 
Now, what image comes into your mind when I talk about God teaching you? Probably boring classroom, with the teacher kind of droning on in front while I'm thinking mostly about what I'm going to do. Here the word for teach is more like asking to be goaded or poked with a sharp stick, committed in spite of yourself. Remember those thorns I talked about? They, as they poke us as we get off the path. Maybe instead of a boring class, be my drill instructor to get me through obstacles that I know I can't manage on my own. Push beyond my limits can only come through God's spirit working in me. So we see here again, nature. Fourth, verse 13, we touch this to us. How can we not share with others what we have learned about him? Struggle with that myself. Is it because we don't care enough about God? One of us to witness to others what God has taught him about himself. Certainly our lives, to not only have our lives be a witness, but to use our lips to recount to others. And he asks us in turn to use what he teaches us to teach others. Turn, use it to bless others and glorify him. We delight in obeying God's word. We have sought, we've stored, we've prayed, we've witnessed. And now obeying God stops being a burden but becomes a source of joy. God's rod and staff, that before were something we wanted to avoid at all costs, now bring us comfort. No longer is God's word a seemingly endless list of constraints and restraints that we resent. They are necessary and beneficial boundaries that give us freedom to flourish in Christ. They protect us from disaster, kind of like guardrails. Dream of working on a project where money, time, and resources are no object. But example after example demonstrate that contrary to what we would like to think, the proper use of boundaries causes creativity not to be inhibited, but to flourish. In fact, when there are no boundaries created, then both creativity and productivity suffer. So as we mature, we delight in obeying God's word. Next, verse 15. We meditate on God's word. Remember how last week we got the image of the cat purring as it ate to provide a picture of us digging into God's word? As we look at verse 15, I'd like you to think this week of a cow chewing the cud. For a cow, that grass was so good going down the first time, it's going to revisit that meal a couple more times and for good measure. Spurgeon comments that like a miser counting his treasure, we keep going into our vault and revisiting the precious word of God. God doesn't promise to bless our church programs, our ceremonies, our activities, but he does promise to bless his word. And that is what we are called to focus and meditate on. With God's grace, our programs, ceremonies, and activities will help us do just that. As we bring this on in, we're reminded that we are appreciate what we appreciate and enjoy, we seldom forget. The word translated here is forget carries along with it the idea of being oblivious due to lack of attention. Are we oblivious to God's word because we have not given it the attention it demands? It's not too late for us to get on the right path, but it might be too late this afternoon. If you know you are not on the right path, don't waste any time on the wrong one. Diligently pursue the godly disciplines laid out in this passage but also don't neglect to pray for God to protect and keep your way pure. Returning to Isaiah 55, we hear God calling. It says in Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3, 
Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in which your soul may live? And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast reminds us what we find in the Lord. You know, psychologists tell us that a lot of our, consciously we may laugh at our sins, but subconsciously they tear us apart, try to perform penance to overcome our guilt or just repress our feelings. None of us in God's word is powerless. If you haven't been given God's word, the attention it deserves promises and using God's words to purify your path starting now. In his word, God promises he can make us clean through the blood of Christ. Give heed to God's word. Take it, store it, say it, delight in it, meditate on it. From God's word, we know that all like sheep have gone astray, but that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that word also has the power in my life to also keep me from sin. Imagine being in a dark cave. Nothing we do is going to illuminate that cave by getting rid of the darkness. We can't purify our path by working in our own power to just stop sinning. Sitting in the dark, we can only see by obtaining light. We're not purified by eliminating darkness, but by obtaining light. God's word provides that light. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. For today he gives us the power to purify our path. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and your Son, who is the word made flesh. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to seek you with all our hearts. Let us not not be like the man that looks and sees, then looks away and forgets, but help us to keep our eyes on you. Thank you for our time together today. Help us to leave today and seek to walk worthy of our calling throughout the coming week. Through the power of your Spirit, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.